Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Change on the Run podcast, where we discuss common change challenges and ways to address them when you're short of time. I'm your host, Phil Buckley. Today's topic is conveying insights from data. Shared understanding is essential during change. People must align on the why, what, when, where, and how of an initiative. Everything must make sense or doubt, resistance, and risk seep in. Data is the foundation of knowledge. It is the raw materials of pattern recognition, insights, and fact-based decision-making. A challenge is that most people struggle with making sense of data. They think in stories instead of numbers and need context for data within their frames of reference to have meaning. Without personal connections to new concepts, people may become confused and distrustful of your insights and your recommendations on the way forward. So how do you convey insights from data so that they are understood, build consensus, and lead to positive action? My guests today are John Bradley and Carrie Bradley. John and Carrie, welcome to the show for the second time. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Phil. Thanks for being on. I appreciate it. John Bradley spent 25 years with Cadbury in the UK and Canada in sales analytics, brand management, strategic planning, and running one of the UK's largest consumer research departments. He has published several books and from 2013 to 2017 was judging coordinator of the Cassies, Canada's premier advertising awards. Carrie Bradley, which is no relation, spent 15 plus years in financial services, not-for-profit, and pharma in a variety of organizational effectiveness roles, including head of network strategy, AVP wealth strategy, and AVP sales effectiveness at HSBC. Four years ago, John and Carrie formed the Bradley Group, a boutique strategic effectiveness consulting partnership. Let's start off with Carrie. Carrie, what's been your experience with conveying insights from data? Thanks, Phil. So actually, something you mentioned in the intro about people relating to stories versus numbers, really, in my experience, and John and I talk a lot about this in our consulting and our training practice, really being visual with your data is really all about another form of business storytelling. It's truly about communication. And it's how you take that data, put it into simple visual format to help support or tell a business story. And my experience in the past, as well as with the Bradley Group, is if you can make data simple, easy to understand, clear, and visual, then it's truly a business story, not just numbers for people. And that visual component is so essential. John, what is your perspective? I completely agree with Carrie. You know, the ability to work with numbers and to figure out what they mean is fine. But unless you're able to recognize the fact that most people aren't as comfortable with numbers. It can be virtual hieroglyphics to quite a lot of people. Get get them to look at it in a very user-friendly visual form. As Kara says, it's the heart of strong business storytelling. You know, if you look through any analyst presentation or any internal initiative proposals, the ones that tend to get approved are the ones that make simple, clear, compelling arguments visually. And the words and the numbers just back up the visuals, really. Why is it so difficult for people to understand numbers and make sense of it and and then link that to a way forward? Where is the struggle? Because this hasn't 
just been a, a new phenomenon. This has been for decades, perhaps since time began. What's your perspective? You hit the nail on the head, Phil. It is since time began because what it comes down to is the two hemispheres of the brain interact with the outside world very differently. Numbers requires the focused attention that the left hemisphere specializes in. So when you really lose yourself in the data, you're completely oblivious to what's going on around you, hours pass by without you realizing. It's the kind of Isaac Newton phenomenon where he get up from the dinner table when he got guests because something had occurred to him and he'd come back three days later completely forgetting they're there that focused attention from the left brain that's the that's the skill set that drives the ability to work with numbers however it's probably the worst possible skill set to communicate to other people what they actually mean there you need the right hemisphere which specializes in imagination in making links joining things together that haven't been joined together before that's where insight tends to happen so it's actually quite unusual for the same person to be equally skilled in both areas. People tend to specialize in, in one or the other. And what Carrie and I try and do in our masterclass series on data analytics and graphics is it doesn't matter where your strengths are, we can certainly get your area of lesser strength up to a very good, acceptable, if not top upper 10% uh, level. It just came to mind now. I was speaking with a, a CFO and, and he had introduced himself by saying, I love numbers. I was great at numbers. You know, I went through my BCom, I be, you know, got my CPA and, and that's been my career. And, and in the conversation that we had, it was all about numbers. It was all very, very, very technical. And does that present any greater challenges in your course to get them out of their preference mode and, and sort of balancing the, the whole brain thinking of, of data? Yes, Phil. So what's interesting is dealing with the different types of participants that partake in our masterclasses. You have people exactly as you described that are very, very comfortable with numbers and want to use PowerPoint and Excel for all of the fine attributes that it has, but it doesn't mean that they're actually good at communicating the story that those numbers have the ability to tell or you have very more creative thinkers that are very much into the visual, but they can't actually bring the numbers and the data to support. So we really try to have both of those participants work together. We have some great exercises that have them they need to come together to create a visual based on numbers. So you can see people's strengths, but as they learn together, it's really an immersive learning experience because the people have their preferences, but it doesn't mean that they can't then learn and take the other skills to that next level, as John just described. You know, there seems to be more data sources than ever. You know, there's a profusion of, you know, LinkedIn comments or, you know, so many articles out there and so many studies and, and so much data, even from a corporate standpoint, whether you buy it or you generate it yourself. Is that a benefit or, or a, a challenge or a threat to being clear on communicating what the data actually foretells and, and suggests? So quite honestly, Phil, we believe it's both. One of the examples I think that we're all living through right now is when we look at the type of data and data sources that are being presented every day to do with the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as the vaccine rollouts, whether in Canada or worldwide, it's showing us the best and the worst of data sources. Some of them are very clear. The outtake is very clear. Some of them are quite confusing and they're, they're put into formats where people walk away wondering what the outtake is. But 
but when it comes to businesses specifically, and, and you're right, there's so many different data sources now, both internally and externally. Again, my answer would be both because management information ha has multi-purposes, right? So if we look at the old standby of, of leadership dashboards, dashboards are really dual purpose. They're fantastic in the fact that they can take thousands of data points and bring them into a management information format that can have very clear outtakes. But that same management information format of a dashboard actually has embedded decision rules that can be quite misleading. They sort of put that traffic light system of red is bad, green is good, and it can mislead strategy and it can mislead decision making, where we've seen decisions made off of management information that were truly misleading based on those embedded decision rules. Great. John, what, what are your thoughts? It's actually very hard to go into a client and say your management dashboard, which is in every monthly report, goes to every senior manager, goes out of the country to the global leadership team, can actually contain not just slightly misleading information, but completely contradictory information to the true reality of the business situation. And that's because these dashboards are developed to work across every brand, every market, every region. So the designers of the dashboard have to make some compromises, they have to make some choices around what constitutes a, a red light. And red, a, a red light on a dashboard means drop everything, stop, go fix this, it's a disaster. Whereas green lights, nothing to see, move along. We found many instances where actually the opposite was true. The areas being highlighted as red, there were some issues, but actually they were not the problem. The problem was the areas being signified as green where the brand hardly existed at all, but was doing slightly better than the average of brands that hardly exist at all. You talk about the dangers of the dashboard, but also the dangers of the traffic light system when we might be defining what each you know, colored light means. Well, the traffic light system, it's actually saying, don't think about this. Don't dig into it. The dashboard has done all the work. Here's all you need to know. Red is bad, green is good. So those lights better be right because people's instinctive reaction is to just do a Pavlovian response to whatever the light says. And in many cases, the lights won't be right because of some anomaly in one brand or one region or one category that skews the whole thing. But... The senior managers who get these reports don't have the time, the knowledge, the expertise to actually dig into those things. So it actually comes down to when you're designing the dashboards, recheck them, trial them out, run them for a couple of months in the background, see if it makes sense. Those are good disciplines that sadly aren't adhered to very often at all, we find. And Carrie, I'm wondering, you've got so much experience in the financial sector, among others, wh where traffic lighting is used quite commonly in a lot mm -hmm. of tech it, that's being implemented. Any, any stories that you can relate to that where the dashboard wasn't doing what it was intended to do? Yes, absolutely, Phil. I think we've all fell victim to the dashboard at some part in our career. I know I definitely have because many of us have worked in global organizations. I know Phil, you have, and John, you have as well. So what can happen when you're part of a global dashboard and you get rolled up to global, Canada may be an anomaly. So that means each quarter you're explaining why you are an anomaly on that dashboard, why you're actually in red, what, what factors are making you look like you're in the red, but truly understanding 
the, the landscape of the business sector in Canada that you, you truly should be green and sort of justifying that. And one of the lessons that I learned from that, and John and I talk about this all the time, is why large scale decisions, whether they're change initiatives or, or business strategy should not be made off of one data source. So whether that is an all encompassing dashboard with thousands of data points combined to create this management information, that's fantastic, but you definitely can't be making large scale decisions off of one piece of data, meaning you need to go outside of that. Does this make sense? Are there any outliers? What's actually causing these decision rules to look the way that they do? Is there any other information out there that would help support or discredit what the findings are? So again, it's not making decisions off of one piece of data. John, I just want to go back to when you're giving your explanation about why it's so difficult for many to understand and interpret data. And perhaps we could flip it to the capabilities of the person that's actually giving data. And, and I remember a few years ago, uh, our son started a, a data analytics job. And, and my neighbor said, who was in the field, said, many people can analyze data, but only a few can communicate their analysis. You know, it's something that most of the technical people struggle with. From a capability standpoint, looking at the person trying to communicate the data and the insights from it, why is that so challenging? I agree with the observation, and I don't. Uh, uh, um, let me explain. Many people can analyze data. Why? Well, because we all did 12 years of compulsory math class. So we understand what mean and median mean. We might have forgotten them, but we're easily reminded. But it puts a lot of people off. If you didn't enjoy math or you weren't very good at it, you kind of put it the shutters and you actually avoid doing it in the workplace when actually you have the capability to do a perfectly acceptable job. And the way we help people in that situation in the masterclass is we have a simple process to take people through any data analysis, which we call QPDAC. So you start with the question. Have you framed the question properly? Do you really understand what question it is that you want to answer? Then you need to come up with a plan for where am I going to find data that could help me answer that question? Can I afford it? Is it available? All those sort of things. Then when you get the data, the one rule we try and drum into people is you have to look at the numbers. This is not something you can delegate or automate because what you're doing it really in, an, in data analysis, you're either looking for patterns or anomalies. So the, the most inspiring anomaly story that led to insight for me was actually the discovery of penicillin. Penicillin was discovered because one dish of many other dishes that were waiting, petri dishes that were waiting to be washed out in a laboratory wasn't completely moldy, whereas all the others were completely moldy. And dozens of people had seen this pile of petri dishes. One person, Alexandra Fleming, wondered why one dish was different from all the others. And there were little circles where there was no mold. And that ended up saving hundreds of millions of lives. Just that one, that, that's not what I'm expecting. So you, we encourage people to look at the data. Then you form a hypothesis from either a pattern or anomaly. And then you have to go back to the data to test the hypothesis. We actually encourage people to try and prove yourself wrong because it's better to prove yourself wrong at this stage than your boss proves you wrong when you're presenting to the whole management team. And then when you've done that, and it's an iterative process, frame your conclusions, which usually lead to more questions anyway. So that simple process can get everyone over the hump of 
an instinctive fear of working with data. When it comes to presenting their analysis, we actually find overconfidence is the problem, not a lack of confidence. Everybody thinks they're great communicators in the business world. But back to Carrie's original point, telling business stories supported by data is a specific skill set with plenty of tools and tips and techniques that we included in our masterclass that can help people. But everyone assumes they can just bang some numbers into the spreadsheet, pull up the first default chart that uh, Excel suggests, stick it in and away they go. And quite frankly, that's why the average standard of business presentations is so poor. No, such great points. And reflecting on it, I, you know, I remember so many times where, you know, the spreadsheet is put up and say, I know you can't see this, but, or as you say, the default, and it's a, you know, pie chart that, that is the most common one. Uh, interesting that, that you talk about the curiosity to interrogate the data, trying to prove yourself wrong. That seems like it's a skill set as well versus rushing to get to the conclusion, but pausing and sort of bathing in that data. Is, is that a fair comment? Absolutely. And Carrie and I do all our consulting work together. And we actually kind of role play when one of us comes up with what we think might be an insight. It's the job of the other person to come up with alternate explanations that would actually mean, no, it's not really an insight. And then it's that that back and forth thing that actually hones the insight to its real fundamental truth and takes us forward. So actually asking someone to, look, I think I'm seeing that you know, where we thought we were strong, we might be weak. Convince me I'm wrong before I go and make a fool of myself. It can be a very useful management discipline. And, and Carrie, I'm wondering, you know, we've talked about some of the common pitfalls when being overconfident and just sort of presenting what you believe to be true. But from your perspective, what are some of the other common pitfalls that presenters make when sharing numbers and, and analysis? Some of the most common pitfalls and challenges that people come across are actually trying to do too much. So truly, if you can simplify and make it visual, make it simple for people to see what the outtake is. And I think an added layer of complexity that's happened over the last 12 to 14 months is as we've all been living in a virtual world, we're not presenting, we're not standing in the room while we're doing our presentations. So your charts need to be single-minded. They need to be very, very clear because as you're presenting, whether it's over Zoom or Teams or whatever format you're presenting over, we all know the challenges that we've been facing. Cameras may be off, mics may be off. You can't point to a certain part of your chart and say, I'd really like to draw everyone's attention here. You need to create storytelling. So single charts that tell a business story. So I think when people try to add too much and it's too complicated an analysis, then they're losing their audience and the outtake is not clear and the the business story is not clear. Any pitfalls that you found that people have tried to do and they, they haven't understood the medium of, of virtual communication? Do you have any more examples? And then, John, I'd, I'd love to hear your experience about some challenges in communication. But specifically for Zoom, anything that you have observed? Yes. So I go back to saying simplify. And one of the things that John and I talk a lot about is take stuff away, meaning make it as clear and simple. Use heuristics. So these are things that are sort of shortcuts, mental shortcuts that we all use, whether it's red is bad, green is good. 
arrow up, arrow down, but leverage those heuristics because they're those quick mental shortcuts that will help to make your analysis chart that much clearer and easier to digest, especially in a virtual world. If you need to send backup data afterwards, that's fine. We would not recommend it because anything that you're putting into a table format is too much for people to retain. They, they won't remember what you've put into a table format. It needs to be as visual and simple as possible. Perhaps for the listeners, it would be helpful to, to see some of the, the drama of real life when it doesn't go well. What Do you have anything that you'd like to share? I would say if we, if we focus on the area of change management, in just about every case that I can remember being on the receiving end of change, the, the person at the front of the room, when we were all in rooms, leading the change would either be a consultant, such as your good self, it could be new management coming from outside. It could be people from regional or global come to change the world. In virtually every instance, the person at the front of the room is not the expert in the room. Virtually any aspect that they're talking about. So the biggest pitfall we see there is actually not asking themselves two questions. Firstly, what is the mindset of my audience on this subject as I stand up? And what do I want it to be when I sit down? And then the purpose of the presentation is to take that mindset from point A to point B. In many cases, the, the real decision that you have to make is, do I want to have a simple, clear explanation of why we're making the change, bullet points, visual, bash, 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 an inescapable conclusion at the end, you're all fired or something. Or... Is it that will not overcome the innate skepticism and the detailed knowledge that lies within the room? So you may actually want to use the data and how you present it to engage discussion, to actually engage people's left brains in the topic and not hit them with just a quick sequence of quick fire points, but to actually engage. So an example I can remember was we're out in Calgary and the Alberta region. It's actually way below the average for all the, other, all the other sales regions. One guy said, well, hang on a minute. I've just transferred from Newfoundland. And I know for a fact that their numbers are down the floor compared to us. Credibility shot. And the problem there was presentation. The guy put up a chart that showed Alberta's performance versus the average for all other provinces. If you just done as simple as putting all the other provinces on the chart... Each is a grey line, so it doesn't uh, dominate the Alberta line. And then he would have known Newfoundland was worse, and he could have found out why and had an explanation why what we're doing in Alberta or what we want to do is still the right thing to do. And it's about understanding that mindset and asking yourself, do I want to engage my audience, or is this something that they will readily accept so we can just hit them with a sequence of simple, clear points to lead to this conclusion? Do you have any comments, Carrie, just on that? What a great example, but just on the absence of the consideration of mindset, let's say. Yes, I, I think John's example was such a good one because what can happen is people can get almost overexcited or overwhelmed when they have access to whether it's national data or provincial data or whatever it is. And I think if you walk into a large scale change management project and not understanding the different mindsets in the room and you're presenting large sets of data, it's very easy for that skepticism and that resistance to really rise to the top. But if you're able to break down the data and understand that you're looking to invite discussion 
that's a very different type of communication than showing an outtake. And I think it's really understanding what stage you're at in the change management process, who's in the room, what outside conversations have you had, have they had access to this type of data before, and what are the insights you're, you're actually wanting them to accept during the presentation. I've been in circumstances where mm -hmm. someone's put up data and then someone just said, those numbers are wrong. Any comments about that? It, it's it's a variant of of John's story, but it, it's just absolutely you know divorcing themselves of the data, and then it's a credibility hit. Any perspectives on that? Yes, let me tell you a lesson that I learned early on in my career. So as I just described, people get overwhelmed or very excited about data. That was me. So let me just <laughs> confess, let me just confess that was me. So very early on in a national strategy based role, I had access to national data and I was so excited to be able to see sort of the holistic view. And what I was doing was presenting to senior leadership about Ontario. And I was very excited because we were going to be actually adding to our wealth segment. And it was so exciting. But what I did was show national data. And by doing that, the uh, SVP of, it was Alberta, and the SVP of Quebec ended up in a shouting match to which I got to close my laptop. Presentation was over because they disagreed with the numbers. Then they disagreed with each other and my presentation was done. So what I did, my error was showing a large set of numbers that didn't need to be there for the business story I was trying to tell. I was trying to tell a very positive business story about the growth that was happening in Ontario and how we were adding to our wealth segment. And instead, I sabotaged my own presentation by showing too much to too many people. But what are the key skills required to be a good communicator of data and insights? People have a real desire to get better at taking data, turning it into insights, and then communicating it. And some people just don't know how. And I would always start with simplify make it visual and tie it to a larger business story. I would just add to Carrie's point. And once you've simplified, taken away everything up on the chart that does not help tell your story, then amplify your point through the title on the chart, which should say what the point of the chart is, not just what the data is showing, but what the outtake is. And then to highlight that outtake with some kind of visual emphasis on the chart, arrows, big red circles, whatever it takes, so that you're hitting both hemispheres of your audience's brain with reading the words and seeing the picture. In the spirit of change on the run, if you only had time to do one action to foster understanding of insight that would give you 80% of the results in 20% of the time. I make no apologies for repeating what we said three minutes ago, which is simplify the point and then amplify your points. Especially going back to your question about being in the Zoom world, the days when you could walk up to a chart and use your finger to point for emphasis or a laser pointer or hit the chart with a, a physical pointer to wake everybody up, those are gone now. You don't even know that your audience is there because the cameras are off, the microphones are off. Your chart has to work with you being unable to speak, unable to point, unable to do everything. And that, that can only work if you simplify it down to one point and you amplify the point for both hemispheres of the brain. Great. Thank you, John. Carrie, what's your perspective? So I 100% agree with what John just said. And the only thing I would add to it is 
we're talking a lot about the virtual world, but this problem of needing to simplify existed before we all moved to a virtual work from home environment. And that is that we know within organizations, presentations are passed from department to department to senior leadership from one country to the next, meaning that you're you don't get to follow your presentations. It would be to make sure that that chart is so clear and so simple that as it travels throughout the organization and even externally, it does not need someone there to explain it, that it speaks for itself because it's so single-minded and so clear of a business story. And just as we close off the show, you know, is there an insight or a watch out or a tip? It could be something that we've already spoken about that you just like to leave with our listeners or something to consider to make them more successful in conveying insights from data. John, what's your perspective or what would you like to share? And then we'll go to Carrie. For me, I'm a math guy. So my tip would be look at the data, look at the data and make sure you know, you understand what it's saying and where it came from and what it means. Because that it, not doing that is the root cause of someone in the audience saying, those numbers are wrong. And it's we, we've all been there and it's a complete credibility showstopper. So look at the data and make sure you at least know where it came from. No, that's great. Thank you, John. Carrie, what, what's your perspective? Mine would be to understand your purpose. Is your purpose to provide the audience with a clear takeaway that they look at the information and they instantly recognize what you are trying to tell them and they retain it? So they walk away knowing exactly what you are showing them or is your purpose to invite discussion and further analysis with the audience, because they're two very different purposes that can have fantastic outcomes, but you need to understand what the purpose of the information or chart that you're presenting is that clear outtake or further discussion and analysis with your audience. John and Carrie, thank you so much for being on the Change on the Run podcast. I appreciate you sharing your perspectives. How can people get in contact with you and learn more about your courses? Carrie, why don't you go first? And then John, if you could follow, please. Thanks, Phil. And we would love to hear from your listeners and they can find us on LinkedIn under the Bradley group or under our individual profiles of Carrie Bradley and John Bradley, again, not related. We also have a website that if you Google the Bradley group and strategic effectiveness consulting, you will find us. Our emails are readily available. We would love to hear from from anyone to have a, a further discussion on this. No, that sounds great. And John, perhaps I could ask you one question. I know both of you do a lot of writing. Are there any organizations or publications that, that you could steer people to, to get a greater understanding of, of your comments and what you've been commenting on in the marketplace? Yes, we are regular contributors to Strategy Magazine in Canada. We don't often talk about this level of detail on data analytics and graphics because I'm not entirely sure that uh, that is the goal of the editor of Strategy Magazine. But certainly everything that we do write about in there is grounded in solid analysis and a lot of thought going into how to communicate the points that we want to make to that particular audience. What I appreciate the most is when you take something in the industry and then you critique it either positively or if there's room for improvement. Those are my favorites. So thank you so much. And again, thanks for being on the show. And thank you for listening. And the Change on the Run book and audiobook are available now. To check them out, please go to changeontherun.com or your favorite bookseller. And until the next time, I wish you all the best as you continue to lead change. <laughs> <laughs>